at the Football Overview. Today, Madrid proved too tough to crack as Liverpool forget their shooting boots. Neymar forgot his two, but Bayern couldn't get that all-important second goal. Foden and Bellingham both shine once more as we debate which midfielders we take to the Euros. The El Clasico, end of the show quiz. Plus, would we sell any of Liverpool's Fab Four to fund moves this summer? That's your roundup this week at the Football Overview. Hello and welcome to the Football Overview. Today I'm joined by Callum McCormack. Evening, Dill. Johan Aslett. Thanks for having me on, Dill. And Luke's away this week, so we're joined by Liverpool fan Jack Knight. How are you doing, Jack? I'm very well, thank you. How are you, Dylan? Yeah, good, thank you. So last week we had a debate on Trent. Would you, as a Liverpool fan, take Trent to the Euros or are you Team Walker, Trippier? I am obviously fully behind Trent Alexander-Arnold. I think it would be an embarrassment for um, Gareth Southgate not to take that man to the Euros. It would be ridiculous. And I'm not even saying for a second that he should start in that team. There is definitely some games where other players with a better defensive acumen might be better playing. But when you're 1-0 down to Germany in a semi-final and you need someone to sling balls into the box, who is the best player, in, apart from Kevin De Bruyne in the Premier League, to do that? It's Trent Alexander-Arnold. So to not have him in your squad is um, would just be ridiculous. That's a fair point. You know, as you say, if you're looking for somebody to come on off the bench, there's probably nobody better, is there, apart from Kevin De Bruyne, to do that from the right-hand side. So to your moments of the week, guys. And Carl, what was yours? My moment of the week was the Man United-Spurs game. Really big game in the race for top four for Spurs. They managed to go one nil ahead, were definitely the better side, but Man U pulled away in the second half, as they've done so often this season, and it was a really good performance from them. And Yoz, what was your moment of the week? I selected Neymar's bedazzling performance against Bayern Munich. Uh, his individual brilliance was instrumental in PSG's victory now, going into the semi-finals, and I truly believe it will be looked upon as one of his finest performances for PSG and perhaps, you know, his whole career, obviously, when it comes to an end. So I selected there. And finally, Jack, your moment of the week. I'm going to go with G. Bellingham's goal against Manchester City. It's just crazy to think that a 17-year-old English lad who... Um, save Birmingham from going under is now scoring against Man City Um, he's not old enough to buy a pint and he's bedazzling in the Champions League yeah he's the youngest Englishman ever to score a Champions League goal fantastic from Bellingham wasn't it opening the score in there in that 2-1 defeat to Manchester City in that quarter-final second leg but we're actually going to start guys with Liverpool against Real Madrid and in Klopp's post-match comments He said that we didn't lose the tie tonight, we lost in Madrid. We didn't score, and then the experience of Real Madrid played the tie down. So, with how poor Liverpool were in the first leg, when Salah scored that away goal was the key defining moment, guys, when Liverpool continued to look for the equaliser, rather than shutting up shop and taking that 2-1 defeat back to Anfield and having the confidence then that they can turn that around. What do you think, Al? Yeah, I agree with that. I think Liverpool were pretty poor for the whole of the 90 minutes in the first game. And Real Madrid definitely deserved the three goals, whether or not Liverpool were going for another one or not. I agree with Klopp's comments that they lost the tie in the first leg. The second leg, 
like they said, Real Madrid just did what they had to do. I get the feeling that if Liverpool scored, Real Madrid probably would have got a goal themselves. Real Madrid were the deserved winners. Jack, Klopp moved to the 4-2-4 formation, didn't he? With putting on Jota and putting on Thiago, who came on for Milner and Kabak, with 30 minutes to play. Would he not have been better off making that change earlier, Jack? Possibly making it at half-time to give those guys an extra 15 minutes to really make an impact? By starting Milner in the, in the second leg, he it raised my eyebrow because um, Thiago's not started a game for three for three games in a row now. Which um, when he came when he came on against um, Real Madrid last week, Thiago made a huge difference. Cater was poor and um, started to make us tick. So I thought he was going to be the first name on the team sheet um, to start with, but I was proven wrong by Klopp, as I am many a time when I saw in the first three minutes. James Milner go absolutely flying through Benzema and I was like right that's why he's in the team he's there for yeah. the aggression the raw aggression that we missed um so I, I in regards to whether or not um they should have come or come on earlier I don't know I feel like as I said the the intensity that the midfield that we had on um and with um Firmino on as well um I feel like that that was maybe needed I feel like even though Firmino has been in poor form we actually lacked lacked him a lot last week because playing playing against Modric and Cruz is difficult at the best of times um, and without Firmino dropping into the spaces in between the um, the midfield and the defence it was really difficult for us to string any formal passes together last week so I can understand why um, why Klopp took, took his time before bringing Jota on to make it um, a, bit, a, bit, a bit more attacking. He was also probably very wary of the fact that um, if one goal goes in that's, that's it so I understand he has to go for it, but he also has to limit limit the fact, limit keep keep Liverpool in the game as long as possible. First of all, I just wanted to respond to Jack when you speak of the likes of Cruz and Modric. These are players who are not great defensively speaking. That that's not something you identify with their game. And I think the likes of Milner would be a more appropriate selection when it comes to retrieving the ball in quick succession and capitalising upon the space from that standpoint. As the game unfolded for Liverpool, pretty much as I would have expected to be honest, I thought the first half they were very relentless. And you know, we kind of saw glimpses of the team we most identify with Liverpool, being just that just unrelenting team that will just create any goal-scoring goal opportunity as they can. So obviously they weren't clinical by any means, and that was the difference. Looking at Real Madrid now, guys, and in our Champions League predictions last week, none of you guys mentioned Real Madrid. But with 11 wins in 13, no losses since January, and the experience Klopp mentioned earlier... Can Real Madrid win the Champions League, Jack? They're slowly becoming dark horses, aren't they? I mean, when when Liverpool uh, drew got the got the draw against Real Madrid, I was I was saying I'm I'm happy with that. That's the second best tie we can get apart from Porto because of the teams that were left. And um, I thought it was going to be a much easier game, and it's just kind of shown that Zidane isn't just a, a poster boy for Ronaldo. He actually has the tactics in the locker to. Put, put performances together that, um, like last week, he dismantled Liverpool with his tactics um, and with um, with the three midfielders, um, even when they're missing Varane and um, Ramos. So when when they're back and firing, it they could be a serious threat. So Cal, why didn't you have Real Madrid as your predicted winners last week? I still just didn't fancy Real Madrid to do well with two centre backs missing, the aging midfield. Benzema being their only real goal threat. I just felt like they didn't have enough in their locker to maybe even get past Liverpool, let alone get through to the 
final and, w- and win the competition. But having watched them against uh, over two legs against Liverpool, that's definitely changed my outlook on them. And they're definitely a serious threat in this competition. Casemiro was brilliant yesterday, wasn't he, guys? And obviously he was positioned as a defensive midfielder. But at times he almost played like a third centre-back, didn't he? Especially for those final 30 minutes when Liverpool did make that change to the 4-2-4. What did you make of the Real Madrid performance shows? Was there anything you picked out in terms of the way they set up? Well, elaborating upon what you just said then, um, quite to the contrary of the first game, we saw Casemiro on many occasions obviously drop into that back three, which kind of enabled them to claim greater control of the game. And I really noticed how the likes of Cruz and Modric were a lot more condensed, defensively speaking, and that was something that needed to take place. But going back to the question you posed to everybody else, I would never rule out Real Madrid totally, you know, because of their Champions League record, their experience and composure in this competition. I don't believe they'll win the Champions League because of their midfield vulnerabilities. I really can't see the likes of Modric and Cruz, you know, really kind of taming the likes of Neymar, Mbappe, Kevin De Bruyne, Foden, given the scenario that they do progress to the final. And simply because of that, I would not completely rule them out because you can't, given their record but I still very much think they're dark horses. Another two players I was really impressed with was Asensio and Vinicius's performances, and their work rate was incredible, wasn't it? They dropped in to cover the Liverpool fullbacks throughout, especially when Robertson or Trent looked to push forward. They closed up the gaps there by positioning themselves alongside the back four, and they also still managed to cause a threat on the counter-attack. For example, Valverde's pass, wasn't it, in the 65th minute, picked out Vinicius, and he almost got through, didn't he, in that space between Phillips and Trent. But back to Liverpool now, guys. And if you were the Liverpool board, what would you do to add goals to Liverpool's attack in this summer transfer window? First, would you let go of any of the so-called Fab Four? Secondly, two players you would prioritise signing. But obviously, keep in mind, if you don't sell any of the four, which is obviously Mane, Salah, Firmino or Jota, you won't be able to spend as much on these signings. And it'll be interesting to get your perspective on this, Jack. I definitely wouldn't sell Mane or Salah. Um, I think they're too too important. And um, I think going on from there, you're not going to sell Jota because we've only just signed him and he's great at what he does off the bench and so on. Yeah. And the only person you've got left is Roberto Firmino. Now, how much money are you realistically going to get for Roberto Firmino? I don't think a lot. Personally, for me, I still wouldn't. I, I don't think any of them four need to be sold to add value to our squad. Um, I think they have to go for somebody big. Whether, as I said, um, I've said many times, I think they will try. I really do think they'll try for Haaland or Mbappe. I don't think it will happen, but they will certainly try. And and I think that's serious. That I think that's the intent that that they want, and um, that's what Liverpool fans want as well. But as I said, they will try, and I've it's very very unlikely that they'll succeed. But hopefully that that will show intent to then go and get someone world-class because we've had we've had many times where we've picked up Salah we've picked up Mane they're not world-class and Klopp's molded them into these incredible players but now's the time we need goals we can't wait for goals so now it's the time to bring in somebody world-class so if you could sign one of Haaland or Mbappe Jack who would you go for gosh uh yeah. god hmm <laughs> champagne problem yeah. we asked the tough questions on here <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I think Mbappe probably just Klopp's, Klopp's, Klopp's loved him for 
they he they, they wanted him when he was at Monaco. Couldn't get him. I think he's. That's a bold statement. Well, I had to choose one of them, mate. It's it's a difficult one. <laughs> so what about you, Cal? Would you sell at any of those Fab Four? Personally, no. If Liverpool didn't make the Champions League next season and one of them were itching for a move, then they can go because no player is bigger than the club. So I think that needs to be said. My player, who I'm going to bring in, is Jude Bellingham. Now, I know the point of this was to facilitate more goals. And my thinking is that... Well, I watched him last night, and as we've already alluded to. He's phenomenal. Phenomenal talent. Yeah. And I'm not saying he's the complete player because he's because he isn't, but he's 17 years old, and he's playing like he's 24, 25. The maturity of his play is is incredible, and I I think under Klopp's guidance, that midfield just transforms into something so powerful, so energetic, and even skillful on the ball. Um, with Bellingham in that side and I'm confident at least that the form of the front three, front four, however Liverpool um, continue, that their form will return and they'll start scoring goals again uh, in the near future. That would be my strategy for Liverpool this summer. So what have you done, Yose? Would you sell any of those Fab Four to fund any big moves for any players this summer? One of the Fab Four members, as you would say, that I did exclude, if I were to do so, would be Salah. And quite ironic because Callum obviously mentioned the fact that he's not too old. I mean, you put into context, he's 29 years of age. You're only going to get much return in value if you were to get rid of him this summer. So he's a player that I would most probably exclude. Um, The player would actually introduce into the squad to compensate would be um, Jadon Sancho. I mean, we are talking about perhaps one of those versatile players in Europe as of right now you know he can accommodate you playing out wide he can play central and I think he's just one of those players who can really utilize that Liverpool team and he would take great effect by really kind of alternating with Mane and Firmino doing as I would play so he's the one player that I would bring in obviously to replace uh, Salah. In regards to Sancho I just I, I, I don't see I would love him at the club but I don't see um Klopp or Liverpool wanting to get rid of Mo Salah. I feel like the return on investment might might be something that they could look at and change change him for Sancho. But um, the quality that he brings in, he is probably just below the level of Ronaldo and Messi. He is that good. He is that world class, and he's shown that by being what is it a four season wonder now. So yeah. I think that they're they're not going to get rid of him anytime soon. Just to add to that, I was just thinking, I think a more likely scenario if Sancho was to come into the club would be Salah playing up top and Sancho on the right because we've seen quite often Salah play that yeah. role. What, what would you make that? He scores goals anywhere he plays. He's, he's played up top and he'll score a hat-trick. He'll play, he'll play where he normally plays and he'll score a hat-trick. Um, would it work with the system that we, we play unless Klopp's decided to change every uh, the whole system? You lose um, the intensity from having someone like Firmino up top. But it's certainly something that could be looked at for sure. So here, I've agreed with Yoz with Salah and quite similar to the reasons he mentioned there. So he's 29 this summer. I think it's the last summer that they can really get a big investment on their return with Salah. And the other one I've gone to sell is Firmino. 
And I agree with Jack that you wouldn't probably get a huge sum of money for Firmino. However, I think he's been so poor this season, he's got to be on that list in terms of players that Liverpool need to be looking to replace. He's 29 years old as well this summer, Firmino. And I just don't see him turning it around. In terms of who I would sign to sort out this goal-scoring situation, well, with the money that I've gained from Firmino and Salah, I would look to sign first Jadon Sancho. The way that my front three would work, so I'd have Mane on the left, Jadon Sancho in that centre-forward position, taking on the reign of Firmino. And then on the right side, I've got Rafinha from Leeds. And I think this guy has been absolutely brilliant this season, Rafinha. And every time I watch him play... I just picture him in a Liverpool top on the right side of that Liverpool attack. What do you think about that, guys? Rafinha for Liverpool. Could he take on that Salah role and could Klopp mould him in the same way that he's done with the likes of Mane and Salah? I think Rafinha is an incredible player. Um, He's got me many fancy football points this year. Uh, He's been incredible for Leeds whenever I whenever I watch him play he's one of those players you just enjoy watching it's so skillful so dynamic so full of energy um I can definitely see the comparisons with with Salah um in in the in that respect I think there's a drop-off in quality between him and Salah in terms of goal scoring I have watched Rafinha be a bit not not clinical enough um, at times this season. But then you could say the same about Salah before he arrived at Liverpool. So there's that argument, definitely. That would have to be something you considered before signing Rafinha, that you, were, you weren't replacing Salah immediately. You're going to have to have that half a season, season to break him in more than likely. But as a whole, I, I could, it's something I could see happening and I, I wouldn't oppose it. Yeah, because you say that Rafinha's not as clinical as Salah, but obviously Salah missed key, massive chances, didn't he, in the game yesterday? That chance that he missed in the first opening minute to the game, that's probably ruined Liverpool's chances of having any chance of going through, isn't it? Oh, I've got, I've got two points. First, first point is you said that Salah missed a massive chance yesterday, and I do agree that that was probably the game there and then. But without Salah scoring the week before, the game was done before they stepped on the pitch at Anfield. Then you go to the Premier League. Without Mohamed, without Mohamed Salah, would be like 14th. So <laughs> you've got he he has he has dragged us this season to vital points and vital goals at vital moments. And I think it would be a massive shame and a, a bit a bit of a disrespect and disservice to Mohamed Salah and his contributions to the club if we sold him just to get the return on investment. Well, I just wanted to say, if you're trying to justify him with those two performances in the Champions League, he most probably less how many how many chances did he have given those two legs? We're talking about eight to ten, and he got one goal. So, I mean, if you're trying to justify that based on those two performances, I don't really think that's a great point personally. I mean, you had so well, many yeah. chances. Yeah, but so did so did everyone else on the team. So no, but that's what I'm saying. Like, he's a great player, but you know, in the grand scheme of things, if you had somebody else, well, as Dylan mentioned earlier, Rafinha, if he had the liberty having those chances, I would like to think he could do the same amount as Salah getting that one goal. Yeah, but you say that he's top goal scorer in the Prem. Yeah, he misses moment. plenty of chances, Cal. He does. He does. Well, There's no excusing yeah, but... it. He does. He's not. A, I don't. I've never identified him as a great goal scorer. I understand he had that one good year, but I'm just saying he misses too many chances for me. He hasn't had just one good year. He had well, one, one very phenomenal prolific. year. Yeah, it was phenomenal. And he's followed it up with three great years. 
they're great years, but I'm just saying the fact that, again, this is much obviously referencing the fact that I would exclude him because of his age, and I think obviously you get a lot of money in return. Yeah, I just think, as I mentioned earlier, on display in that Champions League game, he missed so many chances, and pretty easy chances, to be honest with you. Kiefer Moore perhaps could have scored one of those goals, knowing how many chances he had. I mean, for me, that kind of just depicts what I'm trying to say. So, again, I'm not a massive fan of him. I understand his contribution, but I think a lot of players, right now, given his current form, perhaps could do something to a similar ability. I disagree with that, Yose, that a lot of players could do what Salah's doing. But what I was saying was, I would take out Firmino, who doesn't get many goals, take out Salah, yeah. who gets a lot of goals, and then replace that with Sancho and Rafinha. And between them, surely that would even the amount of goals. You know, Jack, you mentioned there yeah, that they'd be the, 14th. But... Wouldn't Liverpool be further than they are now with Sancho and Rafinha instead of Salah and Firmino, surely? Well, no, I, I wouldn't put down Liverpool's issues this season to the to the front three. I mean, if you if you look at it from a tactical standpoint, the way that we play football is if we we press very high in the first in 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 the opposition's half. Our incredible centre halves, Virgil Van Dijk and Joe Gomez, stand on the on the halfway line and squeeze the life out of the pitch so they can press and score goals. We have lost that this season, which affects the whole team up the pitch. Literally, as you're saying that right now, Salah, I would actually argue to an extent, is the reason for that because he has replicated that relentless pressing. He's the only one who's done it. I wouldn't even say that. I mean, it's not just him, but he usually initiates the press and he hasn't been doing it. The reason there is no press is because the the systems changed. We've got sh- we've got not very good centre backs playing at the minute, yeah. and um, they 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 have they have to take four or five yards back because then they're not fast. They're not good enough to do what um, Gomez and Van Dyke do when they glide across the pitch. Um, so you you lo- you lose ten yards of pressing almost because you have to drop back. Well, I was just going to say, I think when with Salah, a lot this season, as we mentioned, for whatever reason, he's tried to occupy that central position of the pitch. He doesn't take anywhere near his effect as there. What we saw, obviously, when he's at his best is when he uh, maintains possession of the ball that wide, brings the ball into the centre and gets goal opportunities that way. And, you know, I think him making that transition, playing more centrally, justifies my point that I don't think he really is a prolific goal scorer. Just to add a point, guys... You mentioned that this had no relevance to the front three in terms of the amount of goals. I totally agree with the centre-backs. You lack that ability to, and the confidence, isn't it, in the rest of the team to really push up because you're not looking to press as high, are you? Because you're worried about the lack of experience with the likes of Phillips and Quebec at the back. However, for you not to have scored a goal since December in open play prior to the Villa game, surely that's got to be a little bit as a result of the poor performances of that front three, surely? Yeah, but you're only singling out Mohamed Salah. Sadio Mane has been terrible for about two months. He, he's, he's forgotten how to kick a football. It's <laughs> absolutely ridiculous. I, I saw glimpses. I saw glimpses of um, Mane yesterday, where it looked like he was back to his best. And when Mane is playing at his best, I, I, there's only it's indescribable. He like glides across the football pitch. It is, it is so is and he he's just lost that ability to to do that. And as you said, Firmino has been poor for. A season and a half now. So just to single out Mohamed Salah for Liverpool's attacking frailties is, um, I don't think, is very fair, to be honest. Yeah, we're going to have to move on, guys, because obviously there's a lot to get through, isn't there? But I take the argument, you know, there's there's strengths and weaknesses with keeping Salah, with letting him go. The main reason we've gone for letting go of Salah is mainly because of that return of investment. But you've made some really good points to keep him there in terms of the amount of goals he's continued to score. 
But go into the Bayern Munich PSG game now, guys. And Bayern Munich have had an awful week, haven't they? On the weekend, they drew one all with Union Berlin, which means that the gap at the top to Leipzig has narrowed back down from seven to five points. PSG, obviously a fantastic week for them. They beat Strasbourg in the league on the weekend. However, they're still three points behind Lille as they beat Metz 2-0. However, focusing on this Champions League last eight game now, and Hansi Flick said, normally my team has so much quality in the final third, but today they were lacking that final punch. So despite Bayern being the team needing to score two in the second leg, and obviously we mentioned the expected goals last week, wasn't it? That Bayern had an XG of 4.14, PSG just 1.54. Tuesday was the other way around, so PSG actually had a greater expected goals, 2.1 for PSG, 1.3 for Bayern. So, Cal, why couldn't Bayern create opportunities as routinely as they did in the first leg, obviously on Tuesday? It's a really good question. First and foremost, it was a phenomenal game, maybe the best 1-0 I've ever watched. I was asking myself this question since the game. Why didn't they create anything? Why weren't they doing as much as they did in the first leg? And I really couldn't put a finger on it. I think we said it after the first leg. Sané just does not look as comfortable on the right as he does when he's on the left. Coleman is a player who I've never really liked a lot. I don't think he's buying quality. There was a lot of times where instead of running at his man when he was one-on-one on the edge of the box, he'd cut back and give it and do the easy option, which you can't do when you're a Bayern player. I don't, I'm don't. i not sure. I mean, when you've got Chupa Moting up top as well, it doesn't help, of course. But he was a goal scorer, so there's that as well. Um, it just, it just, it just felt... It felt like PSG should have absolutely hammered them. And we should be talking about why PSG won 5-0 instead of why Bayern didn't create anything. Because honestly, how how PSG did not score in that game is is incredible to me. It just, they did everything bar scoring in an attacking sense. We will get to that. But just very quickly, Yos, going to you. What did you make of Bayern's performance on Tuesday and why couldn't they create the opportunities they did? Was it down to Leroy Sane? Callum mentioned there he's not as good on the right as he was on the left for Manchester City. Was it down to missing Lewandowski? Well, I think it's exactly that. I think, obviously, if you were to omit Lewandowski from that, you you don't really pose as much of a formidable presence. Um, I thought, you know, as the game unfolded, it was very much kind of as I did project which was obviously a very dominant PSG team with the attacking developments very disproportionately in favour of PSG and I think that was always going to be the case with the players that they have you know we always knew Neymar was going to discover a lot of liberty in the pitch especially when you have the likes of Goretzka and Kimmich playing in that central midfield for Bayern Munich they were always going to be at an instantaneous disadvantage tactically speaking but obviously as the game went on I really did not expect Neymar to miss as many chances as he did like throughout the game, uh, very big opportunities, and they did struggle to score. Um, so I was very disappointed with Neymar because of that. Um, I actually perhaps would have thought he was a better goal scorer originally. Um, Bayern Munich, again, I actually thought they didn't play too bad, knowing how dysfunctional they are defensively and midfield. I thought they actually put up a decent fight. But obviously, when you have the likes of Neymar really start to control that 
midfield, you know, exploiting that space in behind. You know, let's be honest, you're toast. I mean, not too many teams have the ability to tame him. So, again, I don't really attribute much um, of the last two buy-in in terms of we already know how you know, flawed they are defensively. And I think much of it has to be as a result of Lewandowski not being present because they did have a lot of great opportunities. And if he was to be there, perhaps the game would have unfolded very differently. Yeah, especially in the first leg, wasn't it? The amount of chances Bayern squandered in that first leg. And even in the second, if they had Lewandowski available, I think it would just give a boost, wouldn't it, to the whole squad, the whole starting eleven, and have that greater belief that they could go on to win that game. But we're going to come to you now, Jack. And Callum and Johan have both mentioned the missed chances from PSG. And Neymar was central to this, wasn't he? And despite that sensational performance on Tuesday... He really lacked that goal-scoring touch, that goal-scoring prowess. Would you say, Jack, is that the key component that Neymar is lacking for us to associate him with the likes of Messi and with the likes of Ronaldo and why he's possibly not won a Ballon d'Or yet? That's a really good question. I, I don't think I'd ever put Neymar not being in the same bracket as Ronaldo and Messi down to his technical ability. Um, I would put it down to his attitude and his desire to be the best the best in the world. If you look at the attitude of Ronaldo, the attitude of Messi, the hunger and the desire they have to go out and win trophies and win games and grab games by the scruff of the neck, you normally turn Sky Sports News on and see that Neymar's had a tantrum and has been sent off um, yeah. for getting in for getting in a in, in a brawl with with a with a team that is probably the same level as somebody in league one so i feel i think he he is at he is at paris mainly to be he wants to be the main man um that's why i think he probably left barcelona because he didn't want to be associated with under messi and i think as he's got older he's almost maybe lost that desire to get to that level again so i don't think i'd ever put it down to his technical ability because when he is as you said when he is on on form he is absolutely unbelievable I do think that was a little bit harsh associating, you know, you mentioned the brawl there with Neymar. It was a few weeks ago, wasn't it, against Lille? And the fact that the league, you know, a League One standard team, well, they're actually three points above PSG in League One. So I don't I think they're a bit better than, uh, you know, some of those League One teams. How... I, well, yeah, I just want to say, I, I think it's a bit unfair kind of questioning the mentality because, you know, at the end of the day, he took it upon himself to move to PSG. He could have done the most convenient thing in the world and play alongside two of perhaps the best players on form given that time with Messi and Suarez. So I think it's a bit bit of an under, you know, bit of an understanding to really question his tenacity because I don't really think that's the case whatsoever. The one thing I'd say to that is when you play for Barcelona, you have to earn the right uh, to play for that shirt, you know, week in, week out. Of course, in the last year or two, they've been poor. But when they were at when Neymar was there they were at the top they were challenging yeah. Champions Leagues winning Champions Leagues um, when you go to PSG you don't have that same pressure all season long you know when when you're playing Saint Etienne who are mid-table you don't have that pressure to score three goals and still be a phenomenal player um, and I think I sort of agree with Jack in a way that over time it, it feels like either P either PSG are going to become a massive club whilst he's there or he's not he's not bothered he 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 doesn't 
he doesn't want that move. To be fair, though, Cal, you've got to remember, though, because obviously PSG were the only team who had the funds to obtain him in the first place. I mean, I think that was literally the only reason why he actually opted to go there in the first place, perhaps. Obviously, given the fact of his insecurities, he wanted to be the best player in the world, and they were the only team that could accommodate that by actually bringing him in. So, you know, I, I think it's a bit unfair also saying the fact he's regressing by going to PSG. They were the only team who could afford him. Well, Barca could afford him. Yeah, but obviously he wanted to be the best player in the world. He never, he never could be identified as that. Staying there with Messi there. Yeah, instead of challenging Messi. Well, Messi's the better player. He has the biggest medal. And he never. He, that's just always going to be the case. Basically, he shirked away from that duel with Messi to another league. Yeah. Well, is that a bad thing? We're talking about arguably the greatest player of all time. I'd be very scared. I'd be very intimidated, personally. What I would say, guys, do you remember the 6-1 win, wasn't it, where they overcame the 4-0 deficit to PSG in the first leg? And Neymar was outstanding in that game, wasn't he, at the new camp? He absolutely ran the show in that game. Exactly. Uh, absolutely ran the yeah, show. He was unbelievable. He was the cornerstone, the key player in that win. However, at the end of the game, it was Lionel Messi who was being lifted, wasn't he, by all the Barcelona players, and everybody was celebrating Messi, almost forgetting Neymar's performance. So... Mm. Didn't Neymar have a point that no matter what he did at Barcelona, he was always going to be in the shadow of Messi? You're right in that case that if Neymar didn't feel like he was getting the credit that he deserved, then of course he more than any other player is going to want to move away. I'm not saying I don't understand the reasons why he moved. I'm saying the reasons he moved was because he he wanted that applause, that personal applause, more than he wanted to be winning trophies you know, just before we move on, guys, in terms of Neymar's goal-scoring ability, we mentioned last week, didn't we, the high-line Bayern play. Ewan mentioned it a little bit there. And obviously that allows the likes of Mbappe and Neymar so much space on the counter-attack. However, Neymar, we mentioned his missed chances earlier. On another day, he could have got a hat-trick quite easily. For me, surely that's the difference between Neymar and the likes of Messi and Ronaldo. We can talk about attitude all we want, but... When you have the ball there at your feet in these key moments, surely that's the difference between the real top players and then the likes of Neymar, who are the best, you know, one of the best players of this generation, but won't be remembered in decades to come as one of the best ever. Definitely agree with that. You know, it was probably the best perform attacking performance by a player who didn't score I've ever seen. Yeah. And that's something you would never, ever say about Messi or Ronaldo because they always score in the, when they play well, and even when they don't play well. I was well. about to say that. Yeah, even when they don't play well, they score, don't they? And I, I think that's the big difference. What do you think, Yose? One thing I would say, though, let's be honest, if you really exclude the likes of Ronaldo and Messi in this generation right now, he most probably is the most technically gifted player there is on the scene. I think he's been very unfortunate that he's playing in the era of such high-caliber players. I mean, you go back, obviously, to the era before... Ronaldo and Messi, we're talking Kaká, Ronaldinho, he still very much could potentially surpass them. So I don't really think it's, an issue, you know, I don't really think the issue is really about him. I just think it's more due to the fact that you have Ronaldo and Messi, they're in a separate dimension of their own, and it's just one of those things. I think it's just been very unfortunate to be playing alongside perhaps two of the best players to ever kick a football. That's a really good point there, and you wonder, isn't it, if Messi and Ronaldo weren't in Neymar's generation, maybe we would be talking about Neymar as this huge best player in the world with plenty of Ballon d'Ors. But obviously, he's come about at the wrong time, hasn't he, in that department? But we're going to move on now, guys, to the other Champions League matches. And firstly, Chelsea 
Despite losing 1-0 to Porto, they came through the game quite comfortably, didn't they? However, what a fantastic overhead kick that was from Taremi. I'm not sure if you saw it, guys, but ball came in from the right and a fantastic overhead kick. Unbelievable. And then in the other quarterfinal that we haven't talked about, Manchester City against Dortmund. And Gundogan pre-match said, We need to learn that it is normal to struggle. In that stage, playing against the best teams in Europe, it is normal. And they showed arguably that they've learned from their past mistakes now and despite Bellingham's early strike obviously we mentioned he's become the youngest Englishman to score in the Champions League Mahrez's penalty and Foden's 75th minute winner secured a 2-1 win and with Foden and Bellingham standing out once again in the Champions League and of course Jesse Lingard's fantastic performances for West Ham as well in that win over Leicester and obviously in the win against Wolves last week that 3-2 win just a bit of a debate now, guys. And in terms of English centre and creative midfielders, who would you take to the Euros? So we've worked out in a squad of 23, you can only really take six of Rice, Henderson, Phillips, Ward-Prowse, Bellingham, Lingard, Madison, Foden, Mount and Grealish. However, you could potentially take seven if you weren't to take a Sancho or a Greenwood or an extra winger basically to cover those positions. So if we start with you, Jack, who have you gone for as your six or potentially seven if you don't take that extra winger? I'm going to go with Jordan Henderson, Declan Rice, Jack Grealish, Mason Mount, <sighs> pains me to say this, but Jesse Lingard and Ooh. Phil Foden. Ooh. Jesse Lingard! Ooh, I was not expecting Jesse that, i got to be honest. Yeah, well, nor was I, but he's <laughs> been different gravy. So that, that that, that's, that's, that, that's the six I've gone for. I, and, I get yeah, so that last is six I've gone for there. So would you take Sancho, Jack, to the Euros as well? So obviously if you take Sancho, you've got Sancho, Grealish, Lingard, Mount, a lot of attacking players there. Not many more defensive midfielders, more box-to-box in there. The way I look at it is most of the games that you're going to be playing at the European Championships are against teams that are not as good as England. You're going to, there, there are obviously the, the, the main European elites that you, you want to have these, these really good, really defensive-minded players, but we have some brilliant young attacking English players that can unlock, unlock the boxes against many great European teams. So I think um, going, going defensively might um, turn around to bite Southgate if he doesn't... Um, because he has been um, lamented by England fans for his defensive his defensive performances and so on. So I think um, he really needs to play to what England's strengths are. I'll just give you quickly the six that I've gone for. So I am going to take Sancho, which means I only have six options. So I've took Henderson, Rice, Mason Mount, Phillips, Foden and Lingard. So the way that I've thought about it is it looks like Gareth Southgate is going to play a 4-3-3. So I've got Henderson, Rice and Mount as my starters. In terms of, I think you need a Phillips in there just in case a Henderson or a Rice does get injured. And then obviously you've got Lingard, who I've mentioned, could potentially play a box-to-box with 20 minutes to go. Obviously you've got Foden, he's just got to be in there. And what do you think about that, Cal? Do you think you need the, the extra cover of somebody like Phillips? Or would you go for the extra creative midfielder with somebody like Grealish? as well as the other attacking players I've gone for. Similar to you, Dale, I've gone for the extra cover in midfield. As much as it pains me to drop one of those attacking players, 
<laughs> I decided that I would also take Jordan Henderson. I think he's instrumental to that England side. And the two sort of midfield players that I'd bring with him would be Rice and Bellingham. Bellingham because I think sometimes being British and not watching Bellingham as often as we do, we forget the standard of football he's playing every every week. You know, he's playing Champions League football. And for that reason, he gets in for me. I don't think he starts, but he gets in. And then the front, the the three attacking players. I mean, you could you could throw a dartboard, you throw a dart at a bunch of pictures of them, and you'd come out with a great three. The three that I've gone for is Mount Grealish and Foden. Now, personally, I think Southgate is going to be, and I can't believe I'm about to say this, will be choosing between Grealish and Lingard to take because no, no, that is quite because funny. Grealish should 100% be there. Definitely, in my opinion, he he's phenomenal. But I know Southgate, for whatever reason, doesn't really favour him. I got a feeling he's not planning on starting him in a lot of games. And so, would he rather take someone like Lingard, who he's had at a previous tournament, who he trusts, who's in ridiculous form at the moment? I really don't know. But if it's me choosing, Grealish gets the nod. Just before you go, Jack, have you got anything to add on what Callum said there in terms of? Obviously, he's gone for Bellingham as that extra cover in midfield. Taking a 17-year-old to a major tournament hasn't fared well in the past with the likes of Theo Walcott and Wayne Rooney. So does that mean, is that too early to bring him on for the experience? Would you not rather have somebody that's been playing week in, week out? I know he's been quality in the Bundesliga, but um, has has he been in and around that England squad um, through through the younger through the younger years? Because that's why that's why fundamentally Southgate was m- maybe bought in in the first place was because he's had that experience at the lower levels, watching these players week in week out. And that's maybe why he doesn't like Jack Grealish that much um, because he hasn't been watching him like he's been watching Mount and so on and so forth. Um, so I personally wouldn't take him just yet. I think he will be tremendous for England in the future, but not quite. I don't think that makes sense. The one thing I would say, unlike when Walcott was picked, I'm not picking Bellingham because I want him to come along and gain experience for the international tournament. I actually think he's good enough to warrant a space in that squad. And the position he plays compared to, say, Lingard, Grealish, Mount, Foden is more useful adding to that depth of the squad rather than having another superb attacking player who may not even get on the pitch because of the other attacking players that are there ahead of him. Right, I know you've got to go now, Jack. So before you go, just thanks very much for coming on. It's been great to have a Liverpool fan's perspective on a lot of these issues and obviously an English perspective on those centre midfielders and creative midfielders as well. And it'd be great to have you on again in the future. Thanks a lot, Jack. And uh, hopefully we'll see you again. It's been a pleasure, boys. See you, Jack. See you soon. Bye. Kyo, so who have you gone for as your six? Firstly, did you go for Sancho? I did indeed. I went for Sancho because I just think he's a player of enormous quality and anybody who's been watching the podcast on a routine basis would understand my assessment of him. It's very positive indeed. So the players I've selected, and it's very interesting because you know it's actually a bit of a seminal moment because me and Callum actually agree on something. I never thought it was actually <laughs> physically possible. So I did actually go for Bellingham because I do think he is very technically gifted. 
And from what I've seen, I think that he has the potential to really progress and become a very you know, a prominent player for England in, a, in the imminent future. So I've gone for Bellingham, I've gone for Henderson and Rice. I think there's a good balance in that. There's great defensive quality, there's leadership, there's stability. So I think there's a very good balance with that. And then I've gone for, as the more attacking midfielders, I've gone for Foden, Mason Mount and Grealish. To be honest, I just don't understand how Lingard can merit a start given the luxury of choices that you have. I mean, it's not to dispute the quality of Lingard. He has been, obviously he's exceeded everyone's expectations since he's moved to West Ham. So I can understand perhaps to an extent why people would consider. But when you have Foden, Mount and Grealish, for me it's indisputable. Especially with um, Mount and Foden. They really have proven to be such formidable players this season. And yeah, that's all I can really say about that to be honest Dil. You've mentioned Jesse Lingard and he scored or assisted 11 in just eight games since his West Ham move, which is more than any other Premier League player. So surely Lingard has to be there based on form. Jack Grealish, he's injured at the moment, isn't he? So for me, it was either Lingard or Grealish, almost dependent on form, isn't it? Heading to the Euros. And obviously the fact that Lingard's in better form than Grealish at the moment, obviously with the injuries he's picking up, surely Lingard's got to be in that Euro squad heading towards the summer, especially if he continues this run of having the record for the most goals and assists since he joined West Ham. You'd really take him over Grealish? In this current form, I would. And a few well, weeks ago... Form, eight games. With Jesse Lingard, you've also got the option to play him as a box-to-box midfielder, haven't you, as well? He performed a similar role at the 2018 World Cup. With Jack Grealish, you're only really capable of playing him on the left, which is obviously Sterling and Sancho's best position as well. Obviously, Foden played on the left against Dortmund yesterday. Obviously, you could play him on the right as well. So surely it would be a huge benefit to have somebody like Jesse Lingard to come off the bench, possibly to replace Declan Rice. So you've got Henderson holding with Mount, with Lingard as box-to-box, and really try and look for a late goal, isn't it? They're looking for a late goal in the last 20 minutes. What do you think, Cal? I definitely understand where you're coming from, Dill. And it, it pains me to say it, as I was saying previously, I think... Southgate might actually go for Lingard over Grealish for the reasons you've just said. Personally, the way Jack Grealish has played this season at times, he should be fit fairly soon, should get enough games before the tournament. I just I just can't not take Jack Grealish after the season he's had, after the performances he's had in an English shirt in an England shirt as well, although limited, granted. He he, he looked really good when he played for England. Um he made that step up. So I agree. I don't quite know how you can not play Lingard if he if he carries on this form for the for the next seven games left of the season you know and he's I mean he can't carry on that form surely he won't finish the season with 15 plus goals after not playing a game until January hardly but the form he's in right now if you had to pick that squad right this second it's a really really hard decision I agree and I wouldn't put it quite as a coin toss, quite as a 50-50, because I know where I where what I would choose, but I can definitely understand the reasons for picking Lingard over Grealish. Yeah, I never I thought I would have been say. saying this a few weeks ago, but suddenly I am, isn't it? Well, so, so you're like, so your narrative is literally that you want someone who's going to come on and have a massive impact in order to really change the dynamic of the game. 
So, for example, it'd be 70th minute, there are, there, you know, it's a two-goal deficit, you bring on Lingard to really take effect. Is that literally your logic? So my logic is there already, there's already players in that squad who can do that role on the left, who can come off the bench and have an impact. So for me, it was more a debate of, if I'm going to take Lingard to play that role as a box-to-box, I don't think the likes of Madison, Grealish are capable of doing that. So for me, it's a choice of do you take Sancho, do you take Grealish to be that impact to be that impact player to come on on that left-hand side. And for me, Sancho has to be in that England squad. I think if you asked me a few weeks ago, I would have put Grealish in the squad ahead of somebody like Lingard, and I almost would have sacrificed that box-to-box player that I'm on about because England didn't have it, did they? But Lingard's come on the scene now in fine form. He's shown he can do it. He can perform that role brilliantly like he did at the World Cup. So for me, Lingard's got to be in there, especially if he can keep this form going. If he doesn't, then I would reevaluate and potentially put Grealish on. And obviously, if Sancho, he's injured as well. If he doesn't hit form and Grealish does, then potentially you would take Grealish over Sancho. But it's really fine margins, isn't it, between those three players there? Very quickly, one player that we haven't mentioned and who's totally blown his chances again in the England squad is James Madison. Uh, His antics uh, over the last week. He was a player actually who was definitely spoken about, who almost deserved it off his form earlier in the season, but has totally ruined his chances. And I hope he learns a lesson from this because he's a player I really like and I'd like to see him in an England shirt in the future. Yeah, Madison, he's been in fantastic form at times this season, hasn't he? But he struggled with injuries and you mentioned those antics off the pitch. And when you've got a squad as finely balanced as it is right now, you can't give any excuses to Southgate, can you? Not to select you. And Madison has given Southgate that excuse. And that probably will lead to Madison having almost no chance of being selected. But just going to give a quick mention now, guys. So the Bundesliga Champions League race. And despite going behind twice in this match, Frankfurt came out on top in a fantastic match. A 4-3 win over Wolfsburg. Fantastic game there, which means Frankfurt have a fantastic position now. They are still seven points ahead of Dortmund despite their 2-1 win over Stuttgart. And there's also a fantastic race for the Champions League in Ligue 1. And there's just one point between Lyon and Monaco with just six to play. And I'm just going to give a quick overview now, guys, of what happened in El Clasico. And it was a huge match in the hunt, wasn't it, for the La Liga crown. Real Madrid actually, guys, scored the first goal. And it was awful play from Jordi Elba at left wing back in the build-up. He rushed out of position to press Valverde, which left acres of space then for the ball to be played out to Vazquez. Put a great ball into Benzema, who flicked the ball home absolutely brilliantly. I'm not sure if you saw that finish, but that was a stunning finish from Benzema. And it was a second goal, was from Cruz, deflected off Serginio Dest, who turned his back as he was just on the side of the wall. In the second half, then Griezmann came on for Dest and they looked a lot better as Dembele, who struggles in the first half, moved out wide from his centre-forward position. Barcelona used a 4-3-3 with Griezmann left, Dembele right and Messi up front. And the change led to Mingueza's 60th minute goal. However, despite Casemiro getting sent off with two yellows in the space of a minute late into the game, Real hung on with Alex Moriba hitting the crossbar for Barcelona in the final seconds of the match. And with Atletico Madrid drawing one all with Real Betis, there are now, guys, just two points separating the top three with eight to play. So a great La Liga title race on there. 
and despite Messi having the record for the most goals and assists in the Clasico, he hasn't done either in his last seven Clasicos. He hasn't done either, in fact, since Cristiano Ronaldo left for Juventus back in 2018. And that might be a reason, and a big reason, why Real have now beat Barcelona three times in a row for the first time since 1978. And now, guys, to our end-of-the-show quiz... And with Messi going top of the all-time El Clasico appearances with 45 appearances, name the 11 players to have made more than 36 appearances in El Clasico. And just to give you a little bit of a clue, eight of these players have played in a Clasico since Lionel Messi's debut in 2005. So you have 30 seconds to list those players. Off you go. Was it 30 appearances, was it? 36 appearances in a Clasico, there's 11 players who have done so. And as I said earlier, eight of these players have played in a Clasico since Messi's debut in 2005. 2005, okay. Um... Oh, of course. So there's three then that's outside that era, is that correct, as you said? Yeah, so there's three players outside the era of Messi since his start in 2005 when he was just 18 years old. And you've got five seconds left, guys. Five, okay. four, three, two, one. And pens down, guys. Oof, okay. That was a good one. It was, actually. It made me think a little bit, okay. And we're actually going to go with Callum starting today because I know he was a little bit frustrated last week. I could see his face when I came to him first. Oh, do you so have to come do that? To I, know, you, I know he's going to accuse me of cheating when I go next. What was that, yo? You're going to accuse me of cheating if I go next, getting all the correct answers. So I think, you know, I'll be doing a great service to you and me if I go first because, right, let's be honest, you are going to say that. You've, you've said it the last two weeks. <laughs> come on, yeah, I'm first every week. Yeah, come on, yo, oh, he's on your you list. Bro. All right, all right. <laughs> I can't believe that actually worked. Okay. All right. So I, I've gone for Poyol, uh, PK. They'll tell me if I'm right. I mean, so Poyol's not on the list. Really? PK. Really? Not? PK oh, is on the list. Surely. With 37 appearances down in joint okay. eighth. All right. Iniesta. Yeah. 38 appearances. Ramos, obviously. Yeah, Ramos is joint top with Messi on 45 oh, appearances really? okay. in the El Clasico. Marcelo? No. Really? No Marcelo. He's played almost every single Clasico since he joined in 09. He's not on it. Carry on, you. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I need that. All right. Um, Casillas? Surely. Casillas, yes. All he's right. joint with PK on 37 appearances. Busquets? Yeah, he's okay. fifth with 40 appearances. Now, you said, well, again, this is me attempting to obviously speak, obviously, pre-Messi era. I, again, I struggle with this a bit. I just took a random guess. I went Guardiola. Nope. And Enrique. That's all I could think of, speaking of the 90s. Okay, so you've got Ramos, Busquets, Pique, Casillas, Iniesta. So you've yep. got five. Cal, have you... How many of those did you get? Oh, no. Here we go. I had four of those. I didn't get Busquets. Yeah. Okay. And have you got any other names? Yeah. So, so far, I've got Ramos, Casillas, Iniesta, Pique. I went for Benzema. Oh, of course. Yeah. Benzema's on the list in 11th on 36 appearances. He's bottom of this list. 
I went for Victor Valdez. Nope. Oh, yeah, that does. Shavi. Uh, yes, you've got Shavi. Oh, He's four on forty-two on appearances. I swear, p- uh. I went for Ronaldo, but I don't even know which one I meant myself. Once <laughs> now that I'm reading this, <laughs> well, uh. ne- neither Ronaldo were on there anyway. Oh, but there you go. Because right. I know Ronaldo played for both clubs. Yeah. Uh, you know, Brazilian Ronaldo. Yeah, so he did, thought, didn't he? Yeah. I thought maybe that, that increased my odds slightly. Another one who played for both clubs that I thought would increase my odds. Figo? No. No, he's not on it, there. Yeah. Oh, that's a shame. Raul? Raul, brilliant shout. He is joint with Casillas and Piquet on 37 appearances. Oh, that was all the names I had. Wow. So, Cal, you've can, come can out I go, on... Can I go for another one, though? I, one just popped into my head. Another old oh, old generation player. Di Stefano? Ooh. No, Di Stefano's okay. not on the Puss list. Puskas. Well, still. No, no Puskas. So, I'll give you the list now, guys. So, obviously, Callum come out on top there. But in terms of the list, Sergio Ramos is, as I said, joint top with Messi on 45 appearances in the Clasco. In second is Manolo Sanchez. With 42 El Clasico appearances, he appeared for Real Madrid between 1983 and 2001. Is that the Portuguese third... wing? Sorry, what did you say? Oh, yes? no, I, sorry, I was just saying, is that like the Portuguese winger from like the 80s? Is that who it is? Um, it might be, I'm, I'm not oh, sure. Right, no, right. Sorry, I just said it. Yeah, right, yeah. <laughs> Nothing but facts on this podcast. That is right, yeah. yeah. <laughs> But in third place is Francisco Gento. He also had 42 El Clasico appearances for Real Madrid between 1953 and 1971. Please don't ask me his position, you. In fourth place is Xavi with 42 appearances. Fifth is Busquets with 40. Sixth, Iniesta with 38. And the last player outside the Messi era is in seventh place, Fernando Hierro. He actually was the manager of Spain during the 2018 World Cup with 37 appearances for Real Madrid between 1989 and 2003. Three players with 37 appearances in joint eighth, Raul, Casillas and Pique. And finally, Benzema in 11th place with 36 appearances. Just before your matches to look out for over the next week, I'm just going to quickly mention the Serie A Champions League battle and Juventus again with a key 2-1 win over Genoa. And I'm not sure if you saw Ronaldo's sit-up. It was an absolute stinker, guys, where he hit the post with his left foot from literally a yard or two out. However, it rebounded out to Morata, who eventually scored Juventus's second goal. So obviously it wasn't too much of a trouble for Juventus, despite Ronaldo missing that key chance. AC Milan won 3-1 against Parma, despite Ibrahimovic's 60th minute red card for insulting the referee. And other results, Atlanta beat Fiorentina 3-2, meaning they are now fourth in the league. Napoli beat Genoa 2-0 and Lazio beat Verona 1-0. And a real interesting fact, guys, if Lazio win their game in hand from second to sixth place in Serie A, they would be separated by just five points with eight games to play. And Inter Milan, well, they look like they're running away with the title now with their 1-0 win against Cagliari. That's now 11 straight wins and they are 11 points clear at the top. And there's huge matches this week in Serie A especially in the Champions League race with Atlanta v Juventus, who are third and fourth place going into this game. 
and then Napoli against Inter as well. So in terms of your matches to look out for over the next week, I'll just give you a brief overview of some of the games that I've picked out. So in the FA Cup semis, obviously that's on this weekend. We've got Chelsea against Manchester City. A massive tie there if Man City, of course, want to go on to win the quadruple. Leicester v Southampton in the other semi-final there. A huge week for the Premier League teams in the Champions League battle as well. Going into this week, Leicester are third with 56 points. West Ham just behind them on 55 points. Obviously, they've closed up that gap with their 3-0 win over Leicester. Chelsea in fifth place on 54 points. So, two points there separating third and fifth. So, in terms of the Premier League, games to look out for. Everton v Spurs, Newcastle v West Ham, Leeds v Liverpool and Chelsea v Brighton. You know, we'll look at that Champions League battle in a bit more depth on next week's pod. In the Scottish Cup, guys, you've got Rangers v Celtic. Big match up there, up north. And what have you gone for, guys, as your matches to look out for over the next week, if we start with Cal? So, the Champions League race in the Premier League is hotting up. Liverpool are playing Leeds. So, it'll be interesting to see uh, how Rafinha copes against Liverpool, I guess. Yeah. Um, but Leeds, who are safe, they can enjoy these. They've got a couple of big games coming up. They played Man City and won. They can really enjoy these big fixtures. Whereas for Liverpool, this is a really, really difficult fixture. You know, Leeds are top of the stats on all the physical attributes. So, if Liverpool want to go and push for that fourth spot, this is a game they really, really have to perform well in and really have to win. And Yoz, what have you gone for as your match to look out for over the next week? My game to look out for is the semi-final clash between Man City and Chelsea. You know, it's a game in which very could potentially foresee how a final scenario would unfold between Chelsea and Man City. A game that could go either way. And, you know, it just would be really interesting just to see, obviously, whoever were to win that. And then, given the scenario, if we both were to both progress to the final, how much that would damage each other, like morale generally. So I've gone for that game. I'm expecting a real competitive game. And again, as I once mentioned, it can go either way. That's a huge match there, isn't it? That Chelsea-Man City final for both teams. And as I mentioned there earlier for Manchester City, if they want to go on to win the quadruple. And Callum mentioned Liverpool. I mentioned that there was just two points separating third and fifth place in the Premier League. Well, Liverpool are just two points behind Chelsea. So if they can get over that Leeds clash, that would be a big win, wouldn't it? To put huge pressure on those teams above them. But Cal, just before we go, obviously the Europa League match is on tonight. Are you confident with Arsenal against Slavia Prague? Will they come out on top? Oh, here we go. Confident being an Arsenal fan, you have to be joking me. Yeah. I've been confident watching oh. an Arsenal game in about 10 years, maybe longer. I do think we'll get through by hook or by crook. And actually, I was looking at all the teams that are still left, and I expect, I can't decide between Roma and Ajax, but it's going to be Arsenal, Roma, Ajax, Villarreal and Man United. I think there's a good opportunity for both English clubs there. Two clubs who really need, one needs really needs to get into the Champions League, the other really needs a trophy, I think. So the Europa League, although obviously not as prestigious as the Champions League, really interesting from an English point of view. And obviously, when this podcast goes out, you guys will already know the results of this. So it'll be interesting to see what takes place tonight. But thank you guys for listening. Thanks to Jack earlier. Thanks to Cal. Thanks, Yoz. 
and we'll see you again for another episode next Friday evening and we'll see you then. Alright sexy boy.